You are listening to the Life Point Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Drew Meyer. For more information about other Life Point Church resources, please visit www.livethemessage.org. Awesome. Good morning, church. If I could ask for the lights in this place. It's a little dim, is it not? Good morning. I love to see your faces. Happy Thanksgiving. So glad you guys came, even on a holiday weekend, to experience Jesus. I'm believing, I'm expecting this morning um, that God has something special for you. So we're in the midst of this city prayer campaign, and our heart is to activate our church, not just to give you something to pray for, but to kind of wake up our hearts a little bit in a fresh way for our city. I believe it's in the place of prayer that not only do we pour out our hearts to God, but God reveals his heart to us in prayer, through prayer. And so just across our church, I'm praying that God will awaken our imaginations to what he could do in our city if, uh, if a people set themselves to prayer. And so I actually want to invite Katie Stuba forward. I'm going to ask her to share a testimony. Katie Stuva is, um, she's on staff with Chi Alpha Campus Ministries, the campus ministry here at our church. She graduated with her bachelor's two years ago. She did the uh, Give a Year internship with Chi Alpha last year. Now she's on staff with the campus ministry here. And so every Monday morning, Chi Alpha and LifePoint, we have a joint team meeting uh, here at the church, and it's phenomenal. It's one of my favorite times of the week. And Katie shared this story of just how God, through prayer, set her on this adventure, and I just love seeing how God connects the dots, and I wanted to share this testimony. Sweet. Um, yeah, so as a Chi Alpha team, we've been praying for the international students on our campus. We have 127 um, countries that are represented just in Ames and on the campus, and we believe, like, we want to reach um, these nations, these countries that are represented. So we um, pray in the mornings, and we'd been praying for international students, and um, that day, well, it had been a time of prayer, and then um, that morning we kind of revisited, like, how are we going to reach international students, and I'd been trying to get in connection with the campus to see how I, I'm not a student anymore, but I'm alumni, how I could plug in and be where the international students are, Um, that So I'd been trying to get involved with something called English Conversations, where international students come together to talk and practice their English and make a friend. But the campus wasn't getting back to me, so I had no idea where they met or the time or anything. Um, I was on campus one morning meeting with a freshman student, and it was afterward, and I needed somewhere to go. And I just, like, felt like... I'm gonna go to the Pine Room. And I never go to the Pine Room. I was just like, I'm gonna go to the Pine Room right now. And so that's a place in the Memorial Union. It's not a very common place, but I went there and I was just gonna study and read. And I was sitting and I was reading and studying. And all of a sudden, all these international students started coming in. And this girl, like, they all came over. And I'm like, what's going on? Like, why are all these international students coming in? And this girl comes up to me and she's like, are you the English conversation leader? And I was like, no. <laughs> I was like, but I've been wanting to get involved. I've been wanting to get plugged in. Um, do you meet here every, she's like, we meet here every week at five. And I happen to be in the exact place, the exact time that the English conversations met. And it's been and just crazy how God has like used um, that girl, that same girl that I met there. And just, um, she's establishing relationship and we're able to be present with international students now um, just because of, um, yeah, God moving and I love it. Yes. And then to further that testimony, we've been on the campus now for, this is our seventh school year on the campus. We never 
had any strong presence with international students. This last Tuesday, they hosted their first ever Thanksgiving, they called it Friendsgiving, lunch for international students right over here at the Kyle Fowl. It's just so cool. And it all comes through the place of prayer when people humble themselves to submit themselves to God's ways. God begins to just open up our hearts and minds to creative ways, and he'll just pop a thought into our heads in the place of prayer to go to a place, and, and, and then God just goes from there. I just, I just love it, and I'm praying that God continues that to a greater degree across our city. And as we, um, as we continue this campaign called City Prayer, I'm just asking that you take a street or an area in your community, there's even surrounding towns that we have represented on that board, the, the prayer wall out there, uh, just begin to see what God would do in your heart as you begin to pray for that area, for that street, for that neighborhood, uh, or even if God will just uh, wake up people's hearts, stir up people's hearts to begin to seek God for themselves. Amen? If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 26. We're going to look at the testimony of Jesus and how he modeled for us prayer. Let's just pray as we open up God's word. Lord, with full tummies, we come to you with expectant hearts that in declaring our spiritual state, we are hungry. Even though we're content physically, Lord, we are, we are hungry to know you more. We know you are an unfathomable God. You are an eternal God that we can never fully comprehend. And so today we just posture our hearts in such a way that we want to know you more, that we want to leave this place falling deeper in love with you, being inspired to run after you with more of ourselves, submitting ourselves more fully to your ways. And so I pray you do that this morning, whether this be someone's very first time in our church or even a church, or whether this be someone's uh, 1,000th time here, I pray that you'd awaken something fresh in our hearts. Stir us up, Lord Jesus, in your mighty name, amen. So we're gonna read from Matthew chapter 26. This is the end of Jesus' life. He's ministered for three and a half years, lived on the earth for 33 years, and things are kind of reaching their culmination here. And Jesus is being drawn to the place of prayer. And things really matter most, Jesus is drawn to this place of prayer. And so it says in verse 36, then Jesus went with them, he's, Matthew's referring to the disciples, he went with them to a place called the Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Can I tell you, it's not a sin to be sorrowful and troubled. You can maybe like stuff those feelings da deep down in your heart, try to avoid them or think that God is scared off by your sorrow or your troubled spirit. But Jesus himself carried a sense of sorrow and troubled spirit in moments, but he allowed it to channel it, he, he channeled it and allowed, him, allowed it to bring him to a place of prayer. Then he said to them, my soul is very, oh, sorry, it's very, uh, very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And he uses that word watch almost interchangeably in this passage with prayer, which I think is fascinating, that Jesus compares praying to watching. It's illuminating our senses. It's waking up our senses to be more attuned to what God is doing. So prayer is not just a, a passive religious act of superficialities. It's meant to make us more alert, more aware of what God is doing. And going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. 
Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and he found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so could you not watch with me one hour? I love the raw honesty of scriptures. Matthew himself, who was there, he's one of the disciples. He's, he's, willing, enough, he's willing to be raw and honest with us to say, yeah, I fell asleep. <laughs> yeah, I don't know how many of you have fell asleep with intentions of praying. I've been there. And I think it's cool that scripture doesn't try to put on this facade of prayer where we all have everything perfectly pack, packaged and uh, perfectly scripted. But even with great intention, sometimes we can fall short. And scripture's okay with that. God is not scared off by that. And Jesus encourages them, he challenges them. He says, watch and pray, wake up, wake up your senses to look around, to see what the greater reality is. Pray that you may not enter into temptation. He's giving them some marching orders for the days to come. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and he prayed, my father, if this, is, if this cannot pass, or if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and he found them sleeping and their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and he prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. And I don't necessarily mean, or I don't necessarily think it has to mean literally that he repeated the same exact words, but he had one, one thing that was fixated on his heart and his mind. It was to release this burden that he carried to the Father for God's glory, for, father, for Father's will to be done. And he couldn't do anything other than what the Father willed, but it was even, even Jesus, the God-man, who was willing to submit himself to the process and the relationship of prayer, through prayer. Then he came to the disciples and he said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed in the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And really, the, the sequence of events that lead to Jesus' crucifixion start from that moment forward. Maybe a familiar passage to you, maybe not. But I'm praying that from this passage this morning in Matthew 26, that God would simply turn up the heat in all of our prayer lives in a fresh way to desire to pray. Jesus, the God-man, had a desire to pray. For him, the logical expression of the burdens and the troubles that he carried was to release these things to the Father through prayer. And so this morning, I want to speak specifically on our desire for prayer. And I would, I would propose to you this morning that desire paves the way for, for prayer, for true prayer. Desire paves the way for prayer. Therefore, this morning, I'm going to challenge us. We either need to pray for a desire for prayer, or we need to pray from desire. We need to allow desire to be the place from which we allow a true expression, a true experience of prayer to happen in our hearts. You can obliterate the box of prayer in your life being an obligation or a duty, a religious um, motion that you go through to fulfill the obligations or the, the, the requirements of a far-off God. God wants your heart to be expressed in prayer so that he can reveal his heart to you in the place of prayer, and I believe it starts through desire. You can think of desire as a holy discontent. As you, as you look around your life, as you look around this world, and you see things that are not as they should be, you don't have to ignore them. You can actually take note of those things and allow those things to drive you to the place of prayer. 
Think of it as holy discontent. Think of it as holy angst. When, you're, when there's this, this, this sense of injustice rising up in your heart that says, things are not as they should be. And I believe that God can do something. Or even as Jesus prayed, if it be possible, God, could you work in this way, in this situation, in this circumstance? I don't know what you're facing this morning. But I would venture to say there's some area in your life that you'd say there's something not quite right. Doesn't you have to be a moral, a matter of a moral incorrectness, or it can just be an injustice. And here you'd love for God to shift. True prayer comes from that place of holy discontent, holy desire. Prayer is not an obligation to earn God's favor, this far-off God that we're, we're trying to earn his favor. Instead, it's a response to his favor. When we understand that he has called us sons and daughters through the perfect work of Jesus Christ, we can obliterate the idea of it being an obligation. And it can be a response that he's invite us, invited us into his presence to, put, to make our requests known to this Father. Prayer is not a duty to check off our list. Instead, it's an invitation to co-labor with Christ. It's an opportunity. We have an opportunity every single day to be opened to what Christ is doing in a situation or circumstance or in our lives, or in our cities, in our schools, in our families, in our kids' lives. We can co-labor with Christ in the place of prayer. Prayer is not a formula. It doesn't need to be a memorized script. I don't think there's anything wrong with memorized prayers. But I do believe that memorized prayers have stolen the life out of the church for centuries where we default to a memorized prayer. If there's no burning desire in our hearts behind the prayer, the prayer is dead. And I would say even in relationship with the Father, they're meaningless. I believe he gives us the benefit of the doubt. He's a gracious Father. But I would contend for us to be a church that's alive with the desperation and desire of heaven. It's not a formula. Instead, prayer is a dialogue of give and take. It's a dialogue or a conversation with our Heavenly Father. So this morning, I'm praying that God will either give you a desire for prayer. If you're here this morning and you, for you, prayer is maybe something you, you throw up a, a blind prayer every once in a while to God Almighty. If you're out there, type of prayer. We've, we've done those types of prayers before some big moment. Hey God, if you're out there, do this. If that's where you're at, or even if you're not even to that point, I'm praying this morning God would stoke a desire in your heart for prayer. That all of a sudden your eyes or your senses would be illuminated to things that are not quite right, that God is inviting you into to labor with him through prayer. Or if you do have a desire for prayer, I'm just praying that it would be turned up a little hotter in your life. The heat would be turned up in your life in the area of prayer. The urgency across our church community, community-wide, would, would rise. This urgency for prayer. That prayer would, would, would rise in importance. I think it's, it's so interesting that in our life, the things that are usually of greatest importance get the least amount of urgency, right? It's always the, the least important things that are crying for our attention at all times. We kind of run around, you know, like chickens with our heads cut off, giving our attention to whatever screams the loudest. 
And so many of us would maybe even proclaim that prayer is of the utmost importance, but in our lives and the way we live, so often it does not seem as though we live with this urgency to labor with Christ in prayer. So I want to use this analogy of heat to just bring to life this urgency or this sense of desire for the place of prayer. Heat has this way of soliciting a response one way or another, right? If you're cold and you feel the heat, you want to draw near. If you're too close to the heat, you want to back away. There's some sort of response that's solicited because our senses are more awakened when we're around heat. I grew up camping up in Minnesota. I love camping, and I'm talking about real camping. Not 40 RVs and 100 people all packed into a state park. I'm talking about really in the wilderness, not seeing another party for days on end. That is camping, and I I love that environment. It's phenomenal. And every family, every camping party has that one individual sitting around the campfire that can't leave the fire alone, am I right? (laughs) My younger brother is that guy. He's always poking at it, always throwing on some extra kindling, putting on other logs, situating. He's, he's always blowing down, you know, getting down really low and blowing into the fire. That's my brother. We are, we are the son of a fireman. We have a healthy respect for fire. But in that, there's still this OCD-ness about it being perfect. And my younger brother can't leave it alone. He's poking at it one time when we were camping. And he poked a coal into my pant pocket, uh, pants, <laughs> pants legs of my shorts. And I remember sitting in this log in upper uh, northern Minnesota, and without hesitation, without having to think about it, without having to make a decision, right, I shoot up from the log, and I shake the coal out of my pant leg, right? That is the, 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 the essence of heat soliciting a response. The urgency of the hour is making that heat be at a safe distance. And I believe God wants to wake up our senses and draw us into a place of urgency in the place of prayer. That, that, that would be the, the, the logical response as our eyes are open to what God could do in a, in a moment or a situation. We would quickly realize, oh, God's calling me to prayer, to contend for something. To come to battle with God Almighty for the things that are most important in our lives. And I believe it's it almost saddens God's heart when we sit in a place of uh, mediocrity or lukewarmness, numbness to the urgent. Throughout the New Testament, Jesus gives this consistent command of being alert, right? Be attuned to what really matters in this world. In Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, as Jesus is either commending or rebuking the the seven churches in the book of Revelation, he comes to the church of Laodicea and he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. Don't be lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot or cold for if you are lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Because I feel like when we are lukewarm, it's a scary place to be. It's almost like we're going through the motions without there being any substance or power to those motions. And Jesus would rather us just be honest with our current state. So either be hot or cold. And so upon our church, I pray that we would be a church that's red hot with this urgency for prayer to accomplish what only God can do through the place of prayer. Any great move of God, any, any great 
movement or awakening that we read about in history is preceded by prayer. And so I do believe God's waking us up to that. If we look at verse 39, Jesus says that, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me, pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Father, if it be possible. This is the God-man who, I believe, submitted himself to the, the process and the relationship of prayer. And he, in prayer, demonstrated faith. That God can do, God Almighty, Father God, can do certain things that he was, in this moment, limited to not be able to accomplish. He said, Father, if it be possible. And so I believe desire is a response to faith. Anytime you, you recognize something that is not as it should be, you recognize it and you bring it to the place of prayer. That is a response of faith. You're, you're demonstrating that you want God to do what only he can do. That that situation can change. That you do believe that God is a God of the possible I'm not, talking, I'm not saying it has to be a perfect faith. You don't have to have a fully, complete, and per- perfected faith. But I believe God is honored by our, the small amount of faith that we bring to him in the place of prayer. Obviously, Jesus had a perfect faith. But we can come to the Father with a small amount of faith that we have. And we say, Father, if it be possible, will you move in this situation? So if you have a loved one that doesn't yet know Christ... We recognize that well, this is not as it should be. That recognition of things not as they should be is a demonstration of faith. You're saying you believe that God wants all to come to repentance. He doesn't want any to perish. He's, he's not slow in keeping his promises. Instead, he doesn't want anyone to perish. He wants all to come to repentance. It's your recognition of that promise, and then you bring it to him in the place of prayer. If you're watching your kids struggle, you're your teenagers struggle with the decisions they make or your kids struggling in school. As a parent, it can break your heart. You can sit paralyzed in fear and unbelief or that small recognition of things not as they should be can drive you to the place of prayer. And in that place, you can say, God, you, you've said that if, if I raise up a kid and the things of you, that, that later on they'll not depart from you. God, draw them back to you. And you say, Father, if it be possible... If it be in the area of physical healing, or finances, or a work situation, your recognition that things are not as they should be can be also a demonstration of your faith if you will allow it to be. Jesus is not caught off guard by the proportion of your faith to your unbelief, okay? We can be okay with in unperfected faith, but I believe that God loves the small amount of faith that we can come to him with. I think he responds to that. Mark chapter 9, I love the story of the father, because I love the father's heart for healing in his son. There's a story of a father, the demon-possessed boy. This, this man is broken up, watching his son be in torment. And he says, Jesus, if you are able, can you heal my son? And Jesus responds, if I'm able, anything is possible for the one that believes. And the father, he's just being honest. I think God appreciates our honesty. He says, I do believe, but help me in my unbelief. 
We can come to the Father in raw honesty, and even that, even that affirmation of where we're truly at can be a demonstration of our faith. That we're saying, I believe that God's gracious, that he receives me where I'm at, that he gives grace to the humble. And obviously, Jesus in that moment set that boy free. Father, if it be possible. In verse 41, he says, watch and pray that you may not enter into, te- into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. He was preparing his disciples for the days to come. Difficulties were coming. And none of us here are exempt from difficulties. You don't have to live very long on this earth to realize. We look around and we're surrounded by difficulties and trials and temptations. We can allow those difficulties and trials and temptations to make us recoil into um, kind of survival mode, or we can allow those trials and temptations to, chan- uh, to drive us to the place of prayer. We can channel those experiences to bring us to the most productive place of offering them to the Father in the place of prayer. Our flesh is weak, and Jesus reveals this tension that we all have, that we all live in the midst of, this tension of our flesh and our spirit. We have a flesh that is still alive and rearing to go. But yet we have a spirit. If you are a follower of Jesus, your spirit has come alive in Christ. Spirit of God comes to live inside of us. And there's this inner battle alive in us. I believe prayer, specifically a desire for prayer, can allow us to be sustained through trials and temptations. We can see breakthrough in the midst of trials and temptations. I love history. I love biographies. And I know biographies many times can get blown up out of proportion and, and people can almost, in, in retrospect, be seen almost as superhuman. But I, I was recently rereading some of the story of Martin Luther King and just inspired by this man's life of prayer. His honesty also in his pursuit of Jesus. He was actually slow to come really to Christ in an authentic way, but he was raised in the deep south in the, in the midst of a level of racism that probably none of us have seen. But yet at a young age, his parents raised him with his mindset that the, these inequalities would not define him, that he didn't need to fall prey to this narrative of being a victim. So, you know, he graduated from high school at the age of 15. You know, he went on to um, do amazing in academics and earning his PhD by the age of 25. He's a brilliant man. And so for 25 years, he saw something that was not right. What did he allow that injustice to do? For him, it stirred up a desire to allow God to do what only he could do. And Martin Luther King said, to be a Christian without prayer is no more possible than to be alive without breathing. Martin Luther King also said, if a man hasn't discovered something he will die for, he isn't fit to live. If anything can describe Martin Luther King's life, it's a man of desire, of great desire, of desperation, of urgency. Am I right? He only lived to the age of 39. Such a young, young life snuffed out but he still lives to this day in terms of his legacy, am I right? 
he discovered something to give his life for. And, and you can read even from his own story how prayer was this driving force that continued to keep him going. So really his career in leadership really didn't start till around the age of 25. After the Rosa Parks court case in 1955, he was asked to lead a citywide campaign across Montgomery, Alabama, to do a bus boycott. You guys are familiar with the story. That initiated his leadership in the civil rights movement. And the following number of years were not, following 14 years, were not easy years for Martin Luther King. Persecution, trials, temptations, pressure, and yet he allowed this deep, burning desire, desperation, to push him to this place, this most productive place. And I just want to read this prayer of Dr. Martin Luther King, and it's on the screen. He says, we stand amid the compelling urgency of the Lord of love, as exemplified in the life of Jesus Christ. And yet we live our lives so often in the dungeons of hate. For all of these sins, O oh God, forgive and in these days of emotional tension, when the problems of the world are gigantic in extent and chaotic in detail, give us penetrating vision, broad understanding, power of endurance, and abiding faith, and save us from the paralysis of crippling fear. It's one of the many prayers of Dr. Martin Luther King. He inspires me to allow temptations and trials and tribulations to push me to the place of prayer. And he accomplished a lot, but I don't believe he accomplished what he accomplished in his own might and in his flesh. I believe it was through the spiritual vigor and power and strength that God gave him through prayer. In verse 42, again, Jesus went away and he said, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. Jesus was contending for the Father's heart. He wanted to know really God's heart on this situation. He couldn't do anything outside of the Father's will, but he wanted to fully submit himself to God's heart in that moment, and ultimately he did. I believe so much of prayer is not just getting things for our lives, but it's also us receiving God's heart on situations, us to more accurately understand what God's heart is in a circumstance. I think one of the most vivid examples of this is in prayer for our kids. How many of us think we know what's right for our kids? I believe so often, just as me, as a, as a young father of four, I submit myself to prayer for my kids, and I start going for it in prayer, but I realize my prayers are already tainted because I kind of already have my agenda for my kids. What if we opened ourselves up to God's heart for our kids? for our families, for our marriages. I believe so much would be accomplished if we allowed prayer to be a dialogue or a conversation. God's heart being revealed. And you see that throughout the story of God's heroes in his word. Prayer becomes a dialogue of God like rending people's hearts for the things that are on God's heart. That's how God activates his church. Is when he begins to break the hearts of his church for the things that matter most. Think of the story of Nehemiah. Here, Nehemiah is in exile in Babylon. And in the place of prayer and fasting, God rips his heart open in a compelling way 
to activate this man in leadership to go and restore the walls of Jerusalem, all right? There's a story of David, a man who could have just called it quits. He had won a lot of victories, won a lot of battles, has failures. God had restored him in certain ways. God had also kind of put certain limitations on him because of his failures. And yet he was not satisfied with that. He said, this one thing I desire, this one thing I seek, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in Psalm 27. And I may see the beauty of the Lord. And he so desperately wanted to establish the temple of God in Jerusalem. And I believe that happened through the place of prayer. He submitted himself to the place of prayer and God revealed his heart for the nation of Israel. So if you just cl- close your eyes this morning, bow your heads. I want to ask you a question. What is it that's stirring in your soul? What is it that really gets you I guess, discontent when you consider that situation, that circumstance, or that scenario? What is it that drives you to say, things are not as they should be, but Father, if it be possible? And if you can't think of anything, I'm not condemning you this morning, I'm simply asking you to consider praying this week, God, would you wake up my heart? Would you turn up the heat a little bit in my prayer life? That your heart would be revealed to me? I I feel sleepy in the area of prayer. I feel like so often prayer becomes something I throw up kind of in a whimsical moment. I believe God this morning wants to, this week, in the coming weeks, wants to wake up all of our hearts in the area of prayer. So right now, I just want you to take a moment and respond in either one of two ways. If you do not have a desire to pray, I'd I'd ask you just to pray, God, give me a desire to pray. If you do have a desire, then I just ask that you'd commit that to the Lord and say, God, wake up my heart even more. Turn up the heat in my desire for prayer that your heart would be revealed to me. Just take a moment right now, the next 30 seconds. Lord, I'm confident this morning that you're waking up a church to pray. I'm not saying that this has not been a praying church because I know it has been. Last six and a half years that I've been here, I've seen so many many in this church faithfully commit themselves to prayer, but I'm just asking that in a fresh way you'd turn up the heat in this church for an urgency in prayer, an alertness that we would watch and pray and seek for you to do what only you can do. God, open up our hearts to receive from you in the place of prayer that there'd be this holy desperation, this holy discontent, this holy angst as we just consider the situations and circumstances around us. And we would not be okay with it. And we would just stay on our watch 
We're not going to allow it just to be as it is, but instead we're going to contend in prayer for the things that are in God's heart. I pray that over every single person in this place, that no one would sense that they are on the sidelines in the kingdom of God. You're calling every single person in this place into the place of prayer to co-labor with you. And if you're here this morning and you say, Drew, I don't even have a relationship with Christ. This morning I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you're here and you'd say, yeah, Drew, that's me. I want to commit my life to Christ. Would you just raise your hand in this place? No one's looking around. It's really just me, so. Awesome. If you raised your hand, even if you didn't, pray a prayer like this. Lord Jesus, this morning I commit my life to you. I want this morning to be a fresh start a new day. I want to be a new creation in you. No turning back. I'm following you, Jesus, wholeheartedly. Place my life and my heart in your hands. Thank you for being the the savior of my soul, for being the solution for my sin issue. I commit myself completely to you, Jesus, in your mighty name. Amen. I'm so thankful in my life that I had for me, modeled a, an example of prayer in my father. My father was an amazing man of prayer. And I have a burning conviction in my heart for prayer, from personal experience, from study of the word, but also I can't separate it from my own story. And I, I see in my dad's testimony this example of prayer. My dad, for many years, raised us as, sing, as a single father. And yet so many times I walked into my dad on his bedside and he'd be crying out to God for our family. My dad got saved in the midst of the charismatic renewal, you know, kind of following the Jesus people movement in the 70s, and my dad had this old denim-covered Bible, and I remember him, he was the product of the hippies, you know, all that, and um, I remember him with his denim Bible on his bedside crying out to God for our family, over things in his own life, and as a kid, that stuck with me. And so many times on Saturday mornings, my dad the place he'd want to be would be at prayer meeting at our church. And with conviction, he would repeatedly say, Drew, the, things, or the reason God does things in our church is because of prayer. There'd be a handful of people. This is a large church of 1,500 people or so. And God was doing some amazing things. My dad continued to bring it back to the place of prayer. And I'm just believing over our church that God's going to wake us up in a fresh way Drawing, drawing us into the place of prayer, and it's in that place that he's going to spark and stir things anew. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information about LifePoint Church, please visit www.livethemessage.org.